Isaiah chapter 62, <clears throat> turning back to that passage that we uh, read just earlier on. Let's just seek the Lord. We're going to uh, take as the theme tonight, the victorious King. The victorious King. Lord, we do thank Thee again for Thy presence. Where uh, the presence of the Lord is, there's perfect liberty. And, oh God, there's a joy. And, Lord, we're a, a joyful people. We can sing our praises unto Thee. And, oh, Father, we can uh, praise Thee. And we can read Thy word in our mother tongue tonight. Lord, we're a privileged people. And, oh, we pray that Thou would bless us even as we come to this passage. Give us understanding, Lord. We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, the divine author of the Scriptures. We pray, Lord, there be a word in season to each and every soul. And, oh, God, that Thou would, uh, Lord, just tabernacle Thyself with us tonight. And of an assurance, we'll be able to testify and say, the Lord was amongst us. Oh, come by. Lord, leave a blessing behind thee. Speak, Lord, to saint and sinner alike. And, oh, God, lead us out after thyself. I pray to that end, I would fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give me words from thyself that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Among church-going people, and indeed some others, there is a curiosity about the end times and what is to take place. There are some who speak, of course, about the battle of Armageddon. And yet when we come to Revelation chapter 16, we understand that it is the name of a place or a plain just outside the city of Jerusalem. We know for Israel that the veil is upon their eyes as far as God's purpose in salvation is concerned. They still have no king. They still have no prince or prophet or priest when they could have had all of those offices in the person of Christ, the promised Messiah. But it is only until the times of the Gentiles be come in. You see, we read in Romans chapter 11 that Israel shall be saved for there shall come out of Zion a deliverer. And Israel, and particularly Jerusalem, is very much in the news for the wrong reasons again in the past days. But men and women, there's a time coming where there will be the great deliverer. And that second coming of Christ as that deliverer is what is in view in these chapters that are found in the book of the prophecy of Isaiah. And so we don't only proclaim Christ and Him crucified to the Jew first and also to the Greek, but that once for all atoning sacrifice and that crucified Savior is coming again in all His majesty and in all His power to punish His enemies and to gather up His people. The Savior will be glorified in all His saints and admired in all them that believe. And in the words of chapter 62 of Isaiah in verse 10, there's a preparation here that is spoken about for the coming of the king of all the earth. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up a standard for the people. And they are words that describe in a most graphic fashion what normally would have happened with the coming of an earthly king. And so the highways would have been prepared. And they would have been leveled out. 
and the preparations would have been made. The gates would have been opened. There would have been a preparation for the arrival of the earthly king. And so it is with the coming of Christ again. The way is prepared. The standard is raised. That which was common, of course, for the day of battle as well. And was used to assemble and direct and encourage the people as they faced the approaching enemy. These things will take place at the return of the Savior as he subdues every enemy, as he comes forth to set up his kingdom. That's the backdrop that we have in these verses. But can we not take this setting and apply it the same as we seek to uplift the banner of the cross, as we seek to preach the gospel to your soul, there certainly is enough for us here to show you there's a battle raging that the devil would seek to win where your soul is concerned. But you know there's one who comes as a victorious king. And it is Christ who is mighty to save. I want you just to uh, come with me and particularly looking at the opening verse there of, of, of chapter 63, maybe, maybe even into verse 2 and 3 as well. You'll notice there the Savior depicted. The scene that Isaiah portrays is one of a battle having been fought. And the question is asked in verse 1, Who is this? It's a question that implies an ignorance on the part of man. For man knows fully, doesn't know fully the one who has conquered on our behalf. And dear loved one, the question that your heart may ask tonight, is there one who can save me from my sins? Is there one who can make me fit for heaven? Those questions are answered as we gaze at these words. God's salvation, you see, is found in the person. The person of Christ. Notice that he's seen here as a conqueror. The captain of our salvation is depicted by Isaiah as one returning from the battle arrayed like a warrior. The one who was stripped by the hands of wicked men. The one whose garments were parted. He now comes forth glorious in his apparel. His foes were those who spat on his face. They plotted a crown for his brow. They nailed him to the tree. His garments were dyed with the blood of his enemies. And he now returns as victorious. The prophet knows from where he has come from. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? The Edomites, you see, were those who were the descendants of Esau. And they were the perpetual enemies of the people of Israel. The place called Basra was the capital of the Edomites. It simply means sheepfold or fortress. And in Christ there's one who has returned from the land of the enemy. Who has conquered him so as to lead captivity captive and to set poor sinners free. Christ through his death has descended into the depths that you might never have to. He went forth to fight with all the adversaries of our souls and the powers of darkness. And he was one who didn't flinch from that great work and that ferocious battle that was to ensue. But now as we see him, the battle is over. He has conquered. And dear loved one, you can be one of that great number who are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 
You see, the color of his garments is even detailed for us in verse 1. The dyed garments from Basra. But the garments of Christ are not red. And so in verse 2, another question is asked. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? And a most graphic picture, of course, where the grapes were uh, gleaned from the vines and they were put into the wine fat. And then the man would have walked and trod over those. And there's a little spout at the end and that's where the juice ran out. But walking over it, they would have splattered his garments. And they asked in the words of verse 2, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? The color of the garments of Christ are noted for us in Mark chapter 9, and that Mount of Transfiguration scene, verse 3. It says, And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow. So as no fuller in earth can white them. They're exceedingly white. And of course the garments that are exceedingly white reminds us of the purity of Christ. But here they're dyed red. And that is so because red was not only the color of Edom. You remember when Esau came out of the womb, he was called, I was named that. Means Red. But it's obvious that he's returned also from the battle with the enemy. But men and women, young people, red is the color of our sins. Isaiah describes it in Isaiah 1 and 18. Our sins, though they be as scarlet, shall be as white as snow. And to overcome the enemy and to redeem his people from their sins, Christ had to shed his own blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so what we're looking at in these words is what, you know, the great company in in God's heaven look upon. Because it says, they look upon the throne in heaven, it is the Lamb that had been slain. And they can only offer their praise to him. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. It's Christ who hath made our sins his very own. It's Christ who has conquered death, hell and the grave. It's Christ who has taken away the sins of his people. Never to be seen again. As far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Tell me, have you fallen down in adoration of him who has paid it all? Is he your saviour this evening? And the prospect within your breast is that one day you shall join in that heavenly anthem and you'll sing his praises for all eternity. I wonder tonight, does tonight find you depending alone upon the saviour's blood and righteousness to gain you entrance into heaven? And note also that there's a conflict that the Savior had to endure. He set his face toward Jerusalem. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He he crushed the head of the devil, the one who had the power of death. But in gaining this great victory, notice that he doesn't return as one who is weak, as one who is wounded, as one who is impotent and feeble. He is, verse 1, glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. Dear people, I don't uplift before you a Savior that is puny tonight. 
as you might hear from some pulpits in our land, but the one we seek to uplift before you is going to return in his majesty and in his power. He's one who has said, all power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. And that power is able to save your soul. It is Christ that you must look to by faith. Make sure that you're trusting in nothing else tonight to get you to heaven. And one day when it's too late, it's then that you'll realize it. In the words of the hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. In the things of this old world will go strangely dim. In the light of his glory and his grace. There is the Savior depicted here. But you know there's also salvation defined here. Isaiah in a previous chapter, chapter 55, is found to be sounding out the invitation to everyone that thirsteth. Oh, to everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. The scene there is of one in the marketplace. Maybe you'll go into the marketplace, whether it is in some of the towns up the road or whatever, and you'll get the, those stall holders and they're just standing there and they're quiet and they do their business. But you'll know you'll come across others and they're howling out. They want your attention. And they'll maybe shout out what their bargains are for that particular day. And that's what Isaiah 55 and verse 1 brings us to. It's the marketplace. Oh, everyone that thirsteth. But you know the only difference being that what God offers in grace, it's without money and it's without price. And so it is not too dissimilar here, for again the gospel has been sounded forth, and the declaration is one which is sounded unto the utmost parts of the earth. Look at the words of verse 11 of chapter 62. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Have you not read similar verses like that? Can I suggest one to you? Isaiah 45, for example, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. The message of the gospel is to be carried, is to be sounded forth unto all who will hear it. And of course, so shall it be prior to the end of time. We have those words in Revelation chapter 14. And verse 6, Revelation 14 and 6, and it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell in the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Dear people, that's why as a people, as a church, as a domination, we didn't agree with Billy Graham. For Billy Graham said it was wrong. We didn't need to send missionaries to the foreign lands. Thank God as a church we believe in evangelization on the local front but also to the foreign fields. To reach tribes, to reach the unreached people of this world with the message of the gospel. 
so that every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every people will hear the message of good news that their soul can be saved. There's a glorious Redeemer. There's a Savior from all sin. You see, here's a message that's worthy to be sounded out far and near. What's the message? What ought to be proclaimed? It is this, salvation comes through a man. See it there in the words that we've been looking at. Behold, thy salvation cometh. Verse 12, verse 11. That reminds every soul there's no salvation found in oneself. Man cannot do anything to save himself. His works cannot save him. For none doeth good, no, not one. His paying into the church can't save his soul. For the price has already been paid. Salvation must come from a source beyond yourself. Man is bankrupt. And if he is ever to be saved from sin and from eternal damnation, then it must come from another. And that other is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God the Son and the Son of God. It's what Jonah was to proclaim in the belly of the whale. Salvation is of the Lord. This verse goes on to reiterate that he states, Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Remember that Isaiah is writing some 400, 450 years prior to the Savior's earthly ministry. He's already in finite detail brought us to the cross in his great 53rd chapter. It's there that he is Christ alone in view. His work was still before him in that sense. And that work which the Father gave him to do was to die on the cross. So as to redeem his people from all their sins. And having accomplished that work, he's coming back again. In all majesty, bringing his reward with him for all his redeemed. Let me ask you, are you looking to the person of Christ alone for salvation tonight? Have you, dear loved one, considered him who has power to save unto the uttermost? Is he coming with a reward for you? For nothing done, even the least done in the Savior's name, will not go unrewarded. You'll note that this salvation which he purchased and offers, it's one which does a changing work. That's how it's defined in these verses. For the sinner who repents of their sin, who looks by faith to Christ to save them, then there's a change that is wrought. A change from which they'll never be the same again. Look at verse 12. They shall call them the holy people. The redeemed of the Lord. I do not subscribe to the message of modern evangelism that teaches that a sinner can make some sort of profession and yet all the way live like the devil. That's not the salvation that this book proclaims. That's not the salvation that Christ purchased for sinners on the cross. What was it that he purchased for you and me? It was a full salvation. If I can read to you Titus chapter 2 in the words of verse 14, it sums it up. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. 
and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. There's the salvation summarized of what Christ has purchased on the cross. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things passed away. Behold, all things become new. When God's salvation enters in, there's a work of grace done in the heart whereby the sinner is a new creature in Christ. We're brought into union with Christ. We're one with him. We're part of him. We're part of his body. And that means, child of God, where you go, Christ goes with you. You're in union with him. We cannot be severed from that union. Not even death itself can sever that union. And the change is evident even in these words. For they're now called a holy people. From being full of sin, being enemies to God, to being one who is accepted in Christ and holy unto the Lord. Oh dear loved one, tonight rejoice. For the message that we bring to you is that Christ can save you. He can purify you from all your sins so that you can be called a holy people. So that you can be part of that which Peter speaks about in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. For he says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ye are a peculiar people. That doesn't mean you're funny or strange. That means you're purchased. Come across some peculiar people, I know that. But that's not what that means. Purchased. Purchased with the Savior's precious blood. How can you be saved? In the scriptures there's no salvation for men apart from the redemptive work of Christ. It is by the redeeming work of the Savior whereby he laid down his life in your place and in mine and he suffered the penalty for sins that you ought to have suffered. He poured forth his precious blood so that it cost the Savior nothing less than the giving of himself. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and he gave his life's blood. That's the salvation that up until now, dear sinner, you have rejected and you have refused. And you have said in your heart, not outwardly maybe, but you have said in your heart, I will not have this man to rule over me. I don't need Christ. Let me show you also. This salvation is one which is complete. You see, the Lord never does anything by half. Man's prone to do that. You get some tradesmen these days and they come and they'll do three quarters and then they'll be back to finish it and you never see them. You have to plague them to get them back. That's old human nature, you see. Or we do those chores around the house and we, we don't finish that job. Well, the Lord never does things by half. And especially where our salvation is concerned. It's all of God from start to finish. Do you see it? Verse 12, chapter 62. They shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called sought out. Sought out. The Lord came 
to seek and to save that which was lost. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He's a good shepherd. The good shepherd is the one who giveth his life for the sheep. The good shepherd is the one who seeks the lost sheep so that they may be found. I wonder, are you the only one in your family tonight that is still lost? The Lord would come and speak to your soul. It's my prayer that might be said of one this evening, they've been sought out and found of the Lord. And that would be great cause for rejoicing. But you see, that's only the beginning of salvation. Look at the end line. And thou shalt be called sought out, a city not forsaken. The same Lord who seeks is the one who promises, he'll never forsake you. You'll not be forsaken. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. The names by which the believers shall be known are sought out and not forsaken. Dear soul, that's the salvation which we declare unto you. A salvation which is complete from start to the finish. For whom Christ saves, he keeps. And he will never forsake until you reach that heavenly land. I wonder, will you not avail of it? Even tonight. There's one final little thought that I want to leave with you. And that is the sinful delivered. Who is this that we seek to point the sinful to in the gospel? Well, he answers for himself. It's the all-sufficient Christ. At the end of verse 1 of chapter 63, you have these words. I that speak in righteousness, mighty deceive. In verse 3, you have these words. I have trodden the winepress alone. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. In verse 3 it is, I will tread them, I will tread as enemy, the enemies in mine anger. There's none other who can save. There's none other who could have paid the price of our redemption. There is none other who have taken on the forces of hell. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is all sufficient. He trod the winepress alone. Gethsemane. They all forsook him and fled. He took on the forces of hell and the devil at the cross. His death is sufficient to pay the penalty for your sin. Let me tell you this. His blood is sufficient to cleanse the vilest sinner clean. Doesn't matter what sin you revel in tonight. I don't want to know about it. God knows all about it. But I don't want, need to know about it. But I want to tell you this the blood of Christ is able to cleanse it all away. His resurrection is sufficient. 
So that all who trust in him will never die, but shall have eternal life. And one day their soul will be reunited with their body to go to be with Christ for all eternity. His coming again is sufficient to cause every enemy to be trodden down and to be made as footstool. He's all sufficient. You see his spoken word. It's Christ who speaks in righteousness. Every word that the Savior spoke is truth. The message of the gospel is truth. It meets the demands of a holy God and of a sinful people. And every promise of the book is sure. It is yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Are you resting upon his word tonight? Are you leaning on the promises of this book? For heaven and earth one day will pass away, but God says, my word shall never pass away. He has said, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. I wonder, would you put his word to the test? I wonder, would you do that? Not this preacher, but Christ's word. One who said, I speak in righteousness. You see, it's Christ who's the mighty Savior. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. There are countless biographies of those whom he has saved of the dying thief on the cross in the last throes of his life. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Of Mary. Mary, who was known, a known sinner out of whom he had cast devils, saved her. What about Saul of Tarsus, that persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ? What about John Bunyan? What about John Newton? And many, many others. But you know the best proof that Christ is mighty to save. He saved me. And he saved many in this meeting house tonight. You have living proof before your very eyes, sinner. And his power is still able to save even you. No matter what depths of sin that you're in, he's the Savior that is mighty to save. His promise remains true, Romans 10 and 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no maybes. Shall be saved. I may ask, do you not recognize your need of God's salvation tonight? Do you not see that one has died, one has conquered hell, one has conquered the grave and death itself so that you might live and have eternal life? Will you not have done with your sin now and turn to Christ? The Word of God, you know what it says, today, if you will hear my voice, harden not your heart, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed another gospel opportunity. Will thou be made whole? I tell you, there is saving power of Christ. He has proved himself to be the mighty to save in the lives of many. But what about you? You too could go home knowing Isaiah's mighty, victorious, savior, king. And you too can go home knowing the power 
of his salvation. Who is this? It's I that speak in righteousness. The mighty to save. The one who's coming to gather up his own. But the one who's also coming to judge the ungodly. For verse 4 tells us the day of vengeance is in mine heart. And every enemy shall be trodden neath his foot. Where would you rather be? I trust tonight if you're not yet saved. That you'll flee from the wrath of God that is to come. Flee to Christ. May the Lord bless His word to each of our hearts this evening for His own name's sake. We're going to stand to sing number 58 Jesus, the name high over all in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before it fall, and devils fear and fly. What's the words as we sing this old hymn number 58? Let's stand as we do so. we thank thee tonight for the one who is king of kings and lord of lords we thank the lord for the one who speaks in righteousness as mighty to save and oh we can just lord say to those in their sin tonight behold behold the lamb 
And we thank the Lord, he's all sufficient. Thank the Lord, he purchased a full redemption. He finished the work that the Father gave him to do. We praise the Lord the third day, he conquered death in the grave itself. Up from the grave he arose, triumphed o'er his foes. And tonight, Lord, we know he's coming again. Coming for his own people in majesty and in power. Lord, I pray the preacher's voice is silent. I would speak on that heart that yet knows nothing of God's salvation. They might embrace Embrace the one who's altogether lovely. Speak on. Speak on to hearts tonight, we pray. Bring souls to the foot of the old rugged cross. And to be in faith in Christ. Part us now with thy blessing. Watch over us, we ask. Accept of our thanks. For all your mercies toward us today. We ask these things in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen.